Welcome to the Blue Earth Podcast. I'm your host, John Sherbert, and you can find us on Twitter at Blue Earth Pod. Today, I'll be focusing on the dire conditions of our coral reefs and how one nonprofit is doing their best to support these essential aquatic ecosystems. Jolion Collier is an artist, activist, and the founder of Counting Coral, a nonprofit that's building art installations that act as artificial coral reefs. Jolion, thanks for being on the show today. Hey, thanks for having me. I deeply appreciate uh, the time you've taken to interview me and uh, what, uh, trying to help sp- spread our message. So I appreciate that. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good message too. Uh, in my research, I learned a lot about what you guys have to offer and I'm hoping to share this with our audience. But before we get into what you guys do specifically, I want to talk about um, what you guys are looking to protect. So if you could talk for a few minutes about coral reefs, their function, uh, why they're important for us to care about today. Yeah, well, hello, everybody, and uh, thanks for tuning into this podcast. These guys are awesome. And we're an organization that's a 501c3 nonprofit that is trying to our very best to save coral reefs in a very unique way. Unfortunately, it's one of those silent things and non-seen things that people are not too aware of what's happening. So we're doing our best to spread the awareness about coral die-off. And coral reefs are extremely important for the general public and large, vast amounts of people globally. Um, so just to throw a couple statistics out there, whether you guys know this or not, but coral reefs make up a very small percentage of um, what you would consider like a um, biodiversity on our planet. It makes up about 1% of our oceans. Um, but it has the largest community of animal species anywhere on the planet. So that beats the Amazon rainforest. It beats the Serengeti Plains, you know, all that type of stuff. So this is a very valuable resource. And uh, back in the 70s, scientists started noticing, you know, some issues with coral reefs. And these are just a couple dudes swimming in the Great Barrier Reef. This wasn't like a team of people rushing around the world looking at coral. This was a couple guys just swimming daily, loving being in the ocean and being around coral reefs. And then they slowly started seeing issues. And as time trickled on, those issues got worse and worse. So in the 90s, we had this massive die-off of uh, coral. And it's like, whoa, what's going on here? This is a huge problem, right? Um, But then, you know, 10 years, go by and it all kind of fixes itself they lost a lot of coral but some of it survived and it was like okay well that was just a one-off event so since the 70s up to today we've lost 50 percent of all our coral reefs globally and as time ticks on each year or each every other year we have massive bleaching events we've just escaped one this year on certain locations around the world and other locations have suffered tremendously Um, Hawaii, Great Barrier Reef, Fiji escaped it, a few other places. But just generally speaking, we're 50% down of this most valuable animal species on our planet in just 30 years. So you can imagine what's going to happen in the future. The predictions for coral is looking very, very bleak. Uh, It's kind of uh, every scientific model has already been broken in terms of, you know, how long we've got. Uh, up until this point and how long we've got into the future. So the the modeling had to change to predict the worst case scenario on top of the worst case scenario. So in another 30 years, the prediction is we're going to lose it all. So if you can imagine, this is a pretty heavy um, situation for anybody that cares about ocean life, corals, fish, just the natural beauty of our world. Uh, it's kind of coming down on everybody, and it's a very serious issue that we are all having to face, but it's the silent one that no one sees. If imagine you were 
for argument's sake, driving, and I use a forest, for instance. Just imagine you live on the edge of a forest and you've got to drive 20 miles through that forest to go to work. And every day you drive through this forest and you love it. Big trees, beautiful birds everywhere, animals, deers, everything. It's just wonderful, right? And then one day those trees start to kind of go a little brown. And within a two-week period, you see 100 acres of trees laying on the ground dead. Now, that would set off serious alarm bells and you would be like calling everybody you know because this beautiful landscape has all of a sudden, and we're talking acres and acres and acres of trees, miles upon miles of trees within a two-week period fall over and die. You would realize there's a serious problem. Well, that's exactly what's happening in the, in the ocean. We are losing vast, vast numbers in the thousands of acres of coral. Uh, in a two-week period. So it's a very sad and very concerning situation that we're we're facing. What causes these bleaching events? Uh, you know, you talk about how it's like in a two-week span, there's a major event and it, I don't know, it seems like it happens in sudden bursts. So what causes that as opposed to like a gradual bleaching over the course of 20 years? Well, uh, so in a nutshell, it's global warming. Um, we've all heard the term uh, whether people actually realize what that is or not. So we're pumping carbon into the atmosphere and it essentially gets trapped in our atmosphere. The sun beats down, starts warming up our atmosphere because we've got carbon in it where the, the, the levels of carbon have changed dramatically in the last 200 years. And a lot of people argue, oh, this is natural. Well, it's natural over a 10,000 year cycle, not a 200 year cycle. So we're pumping vast amounts of methane, uh, carbon, and it's being trapped in our atmosphere and it's heating the atmosphere up. Now, the oceans absorb 93% of that atmospheric heat. So if you imagine when you boil, say, uh, let's just say a pan of peas, right? You put the water in, you put your peas in, and then you start to boil the pan. And all of a sudden, that water starts to boil over the top, right? Well, that's kind of like thermal expansion. That water expands because it's getting hot. So what the scientists all over the world realizing is the ocean temperatures are rising. Now coral, and I'm gonna generalize this, can really only survive in about, in the tropical plains around 75 to 85 degrees. And obviously there's, there's uh, different spectrums of that and different types of coral all over the world, but we're just talking in a tropical environment, 75 to 80. And just to give you an example, the northern part of the Great Barrier Reef went up to 97 degrees. That's almost short of the temperature of a hot tub. Hot tubs usually run comfortably around 104. Now these corals cannot withstand that heat process. So it varies in different parts of the world. Now you can have the sun beating down, the oceans warming up, and the surface of the ocean gets really warm because of the sun, not necessarily because of the ocean warming up. Uh, or there's a combination of two. The ocean warms up, the sun beats down, all of a sudden you're 97 degrees, coral can't withstand that type of heat. They have this symbiotic relationship with an animal, uh, a plant, essentially, uh, algae. And that algae thinks the coral's getting sick and runs away from it, and just basically gets, gets away from this coral because it's like, oh no, the coral's about to you know, have a flu and a cold and I don't want to go down with a sinking ship. And uh, that algae is essentially what gives coral the color. So when you use the terminology bleaching of coral it's the coral turning white because the algae's left and the algae was what gives its food and color so essentially when the algae leaves the coral goes white and then starves to death in a matter of a couple of weeks in some cases the algae comes back the coral survives but more and more these days that's not happening because the 
ocean temperatures maintain a certain heat for too long uh, over a two-week period, coral's pretty much toast. So you can imagine that's a ton of coral just dying from starvation. Yeah, and that's just like a, I mean, on the one hand, that's clearly biodiversity issue with all the species of animal that live there and rely on it. And then also if you, if, you know, unfortunately the best way to appeal to people is to be, you know, human centric and a bit selfish there. And so what's the impact of this on local communities and on, and on uh, humans as a whole? Uh, I, I wish we could just say, say it affects animals and people would care, but some people don't. So what, what's the human impact of, of this? Okay. So two numbers for you, 500 uh, million people. So 25% of the population rely on coral reefs directly or indirectly. Coral reefs are the nursery for all the fish we eat. So if you're a local community living next to a reef and a reef dies, those fish disappear. If you're then a fisherman that fishes maybe a mile or two miles off, well, guess what? There's no small fish growing into big fish going out into the coastal, you know, larger coastal plains. And then if you're an ocean fishing person, those large fish that now migrate around the world, uh, you know, they're not there anymore. So you're essentially starving coral from the global warming those fish disappear because they don't have habitat. You imagine a coral reef like New York City. Now, if you imagine New York City, every single building didn't have electricity, no windows. It was basically a skeleton. A lot of people would just be bailing from New York City because it's inhospitable. You don't want to live there in the freezing cold window with no windows, no heat, you know, a shell of a building. So you bail and you go somewhere else and you go live there and you're like, oh, love San Francisco. It's amazing, right? And coral reefs are the cities of the ocean. So those fish just bail. They're like, oh, we're out of here. And obviously biomass starts to decrease massively. So coastal communities can no longer just go off their coast and start catching fish. So uh, in terms of humanitarian issues, you will now see in 20 years starving children on a beach in uh, you know, coastal communities around the world. So can you predict that picture in your mind to then go, oh, I'll save some coral reefs? Or do you just go, ah, forget it. Let's, uh, let's not worry about that too much. Let somebody else deal with that problem. Because it's always somebody else's problem, right? It's always a different... Until it's not, yeah. <laughs> it's a different responsibility, you know? Oh, that's not my problem. I don't, need, I don't live near a coral reef. I don't live near an ocean. I, yeah, who cares? Reality is everybody's going to be affected by global warming. Ocean depletion, ocean devastation, coral reef die off. Also, they um, are barrier reefs for a lot of communities. So they stop these huge storm surges coming in and devastating communities from large storm surges. So you've got a multitude of different aspects of why coral reefs are so important to human beings around the world. And it's just one of many things that are happening in our oceans that require our attention. So and it becomes this web, and that's why I think it is important for everyone to be considering this and doing your part. So I'll ask you, on the top and the bottom, what can we do to, to help here? I know there's a lot of concepts like you know, cloud brightening, heat-resistant coral, stuff like that, but what can, what can an average person do and what should we be pushing our governments to do to have an impact on this and to, to, to fix this problem or try to find a solution for it? Well, money talks, bullshit walks, right? So, you know, at the end of the day, you got to put your money where your mouth is. So as a, as a, a young concerned citizen, support the people that are doing the good work. No matter what, just go directly to them, whether it's us or another organization. And do your research on the organizations. You know, not all nonprofits work the same. Some, uh, they pay their people. Some do volunteer work. Some do uh, all kinds of great programs. Just find one that suits you, that resonates with your message and donate money no matter what. Just make it a commitment. 
uh, $5 a week or $5 a month, whatever it is. And it's only a fraction of a percentage of money that you may be earning or you're asking your parents for an allowance or whatever it is. So that's on the low end of stuff. And then as you scale up through the population and age groups, it's like as you get older, you're a little bit more concerned because now you have children and you want to protect your children. A lot of people don't realize environmental issues directly affect your children and your children's children. So unless you're waking up, your children are going to suffer dramatically in the future. And everybody's keenly aware of this, but nobody's doing the action steps. So if you're a little older and you've got more money, donate money. Just do it. Don't even think. Donate money to those causes because there's nobody else doing the work. The governments are not doing it. They are so slow to scale, but they will scale when their GDP starts to suffer as a result of it. So I use Fiji as an example. Fiji is based on tourism. The GDP is heavily based on tourism. Surfers, divers, you know, resort people that want to go and hang out on a white sand beach, but also want to be able to go in the water and see beautiful coral, not dead seascapes. Then that's a GDP problem because people stop traveling there because there's no natural resources that are actually engaging anymore. Everything's dead. So do we want to get to that level where a government's going, oh, no, you know, we're suffering, you know what I mean? Because it's always money, 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 right? It's always GDP. How do we grow? How do we succeed? How do we get better? Well, at some point, that balance in scale is going to meet each other where you could then go to a government and have a conversation. Hey, dude, you're suffering. Your money's are going. Your, your reef's dying. At what point are you going to jump in? It's not now because they're not jumping in now. But in the future, they will jump in. But that scale has got to be balanced really well. So at some point, and from our perspective, we can help bridge that gap with governments because we're showing a business model that can work for their country that will build a GDP. And a lot of people don't understand our work can scale all the way up to a huge, huge benefit for a country, especially small nations like Vanuatu or Solomon Islands or Cook Islands or Fiji or Tahiti. These are small nations that we can scale and keep their GDP valuable based on a simple economic blue economy that our organization has come up with for the future. We're not there yet because no one will entertain a discussion with you. And we can go into a little bit more detail about that if you'd like, just so you can help understand that. But we're not there with governments, but we are there with public awareness. People are gently and slowly migrating to the idea that their future is on the line, especially young people. And we have interns that they've been in tears over this. They're talking to me. I'm not doing enough. I was volunteering when I was 15. I'm now 18. I've been working three years in the nonprofit sector. I've done this, 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 and incredible young human beings crying, going, I don't know what to do. I'm really worried about my future. All you can do is put your best foot forward and do what you can in the moment you have to do it. So whatever work you're doing for our organization and others, let it be known you're doing the right thing. And hopefully enough people will jump on board to be able to scale environmental causes and, and, and scale environmental protection on the small level, not on the high level. You'll lose the game if you start talking to governments. At some point, they'll start coming and talking to you. And that's where we want to be at because then you have a power position. Yeah. I mean, I think you guys are doing a very intelligent you know, mindset and how to approach this, where you take it very small. You, I, I believe you're focusing right now on a, a single installation and making it happen. And then again, the impacts that over the course of a couple of years, you can then make, you know, there's that action plan of, Hey, we did this, it did work. And, and you bring it to different countries, but it's, I think the climate change problems, the reason it's such a hard thing for people to get invested in is because like the young people you're talking about, it just seems so huge. 
Like it's been going on for decades. It's been, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, you know, in my twenties, right? It's been going on for longer than I've been alive. And so it's like, how, what, what can you do to help? But you know, for the price of a single lunch a month or something, you're part of making a difference. And if you have the time or something, spending a few hours a week doing something like volunteer for you know any number of ocean causes or or whatever, there's a lot of different things you can do or organize. You know, um, money drives stuff like that. But it's it takes work, and a lot of people are so stressed they tune out most of these social issues because they're it overstresses them and they they can't handle it. You know. Well, guess what? From a nonprofit standpoint, we're exhausted. We're exhausted on a daily basis trying to scream from the rooftops saying, we need your help. And despite yourself, you're not willing to help. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. You're beggars on the street begging for handouts to do the right thing. And you're in this constant process of trying to apply for a prize. Ah, oh, it's $170,000 on the line if you've got the most innovative economic prize. Guess what? You're going up against starving children. You're going up against, you know, humanitarian issues that will win every single time. No one cares about the environment that deeply, and especially in a niche market like coral reefs. It's mm-hmm. just unseen, not tapped markets so people don't understand what's going on. Like I said, if 100,000 acres of trees fell over in two weeks, everybody would be screaming from the rooftops going, what is going on? I've just watched my entire forest die. And yet this is happening globally all over the world and our oceans every single day. But it's a couple feet under the water, so no one has to look yeah, at it, and it's it sucks. Out of, out of mind. It's a um, distressing thing. So from a nonprofit standpoint, guess how difficult this is? Yeah. To go to a company and say, dude, you need to step it up. Just give us a few percentages of your gross income to help us. Now, some companies do. They get the message and they're willing. And it is so gratifying to have one company donate just a fraction of their income so we can go do that work. Yeah. I, well, I think, and we mentioned this very briefly before we started recording, I think that's why media becomes so important especially for a nonprofit or something like that, the outreach, the media, bringing it to the people. I'm happy we've seen kind of a resurgence in the last like two or three years of nature documentaries because it gives an outlet to the average person. And that's what like Jacques Cousteau did way back in the day. And I think that is bigger than anything else is getting it to the people and saying, look at this, look at the beauty and then look at how it's going away. And I, I think if you, that's the single most important thing because most people otherwise aren't going to care. I do have frustrations with that though. And it's really annoying from sure. our perspective. And I, 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 I apologize to the audience. If you keep me hear me saying this is annoying, this is frustrating. This is hard. It is difficult. You watch a documentary mm-hmm. with David Attenborough, right? And at the end they mm-hmm. might go, Oh, to help out, click this link. Oh my God, man. You've just set a message for an hour and a half of brilliant documentary making. And then there's no action steps for the audience at the end. Not a single one. Hey guys, if you want to help a tree, go to this organization, donate $5. If you want to help an elephant, go here right now. Don't think about it. And the messaging is never there. Seaspiracy just came out with it. The biggest Mm -hmm. documentary on Netflix, you know, smashing it in terms of all the, you know, countries around the world. It's like, where's the message? Oh, just go to this website. And and no, dude, no, that's not it. Yeah. Call to actions. The call to action is hard. I mean, this is just me, my opinion, I guess, but I, I believe probably the, the, the reason is because they don't want to, you know, a lot of people will turn it off. It's weird to me. A lot of people that are care enough about the environment to go look at, you know, planet Earth get weird. If at the top of the hour, they're talking about how the Earth's dying, it makes them feel bad and they don't like it. They're trying to escape and watch a, a movie pretty much, I guess. 
but you're you're watching nature content. You're watching like the the gazelles, or you're watching the fish, or something. But you get freaked out when you hear about the fact that every year all their habitats are doing this, and all their you know opportunities are going away. And I do think that that call to action is important. We did a talk with Fabian Cousteau last week, and he mentioned the same thing. Where it's so frustrating how so often it's just this hopeless, like nothing. There's no. It's just here's some fun, cute, beautiful footage. Goodbye. And I, it's it's very important to have some of those messages. We're getting them more than like ten, five or ten years ago, but not the rate that the the Earth's deteriorating. <laughs> and it's not fast enough. But you got to understand these are productions by huge huge companies. So at the end of the movie, do they want to be biased, saying give to WWF, give to Parent and Coral, give to the, you know? And then all of a sudden, you got nonprofits all around the world going, "Why are you suggesting them and not us?" Mm-hmm. And, whole political thing that starts and then you send the message that you know uh, you know it's it's a nightmare and everybody's in this weird position where they don't want to say don't eat fish don't eat meat don't do this because then all of a sudden you've got an opinion as opposed to being a documentary filmmaker where you're just documenting the facts you're not giving opinions but it's too late for that we've got to start giving these opinions and we've got to hit it home with uh, as much ferocity that you can imagine it needs to be driven into the consciousness of everybody at this point. I agree. I think the the difficulty, a lot of it's the the production end, right? Where you have the scientists wanting to put the science in, wanting to put the facts in, and you have the producers striking it and it gets filmed and it gets recorded, but then it gets striked because they don't want to lose any money. And that's uh, when there's enough money in it, it becomes very visible when there's enough money and it gets, you know, diluted as well. And, uh, it's, it's yeah, definitely you realize who's sponsoring these films. So sure. if you've got yeah. <laughs> somebody who doesn't want that message spent, sent, you know, you exactly. lose your funding exactly. for a sponsorship. So, you know, it depends. Well, it's a tricky business. let's get into some of the work you guys do specifically. We've talked a lot about the, uh, you know, the woes of the environment. And I think it's, it's good to talk what we're talking about. So I wanted to open with it for that reason. Um, but I want to talk to the audience about what you guys do uh, at Counting Coral. So what is your, you know, the history of your nonprofit? What is your mission? All right, stick with us, people, because this is the uh, this is the kind side and the nice side of organizations. This is what we get to do. This is how uh, fun uh, the world can be and how innovative we can be in these fields of environmentalism, right? So what we do is we design, build, uh, donate, and install sculptural coral nurseries. So we design these Art Nouveau-style sculptures that we can plant coral directly onto them. Now, there's a huge bonus to doing this, right? And I'm going to go through every single step with you as fast as I possibly can because we've got the, we've got the small business model and then we've got the large business model. The small business model helps the people we're donating to, and this is what we do. Our first installation is 109 sculptures. Each one of those sculptures can either house one coral or up to 30 corals, I believe, on some of the bigger stuff in conjunction with the smaller sculptures. And they kind of make up like a crop circle look, so they're really kind of cool. And we made them into a flower theme. So we have these petals that um, kind of like a bud of a flower and then this tube, and the tube kind of comes off the sand uh, up to a plate, and then there's these three petals that are then welded to that plate and close over the coral. That does two things. Predators can't get to the coral. Predators is a huge problem right now because of farm runoff. Coral reefs have got a ton of stuff happening to them that is just really bombarding them from left, right, center. Heat, ocean temperatures rising, plastic pollution, they eat plastic, they die. You've got farm runoff, which is creating a different pH balance, which actually assists predators that eat coral. So these predators are called crown of thorn starfish. Now, these guys can go over a reef and eat it pretty much in a couple of weeks. So if you're not there killing these crown of thorns, 
uh, you're pretty much toast. So what we do is I'll put our sculptures on a sandy plain close to a reef so the fish can migrate to the sculptures and have an artificial reef. But also we elevate them off the ground so crown of thorns cannot get to these corals, which is really, really important. We can do coral reef restoration, come back two weeks later and a bloody crown of thorns eating it. So it's like you do all this work, plant it out on a natural reefscape, and all of a sudden you come back and it's all done. A lot of organizations actually pay local communities to go out and spearfish all these things to try and kill them off as quickly as they're uh, populating. And if you can imagine, a starfish has millions of babies every time it has a, a reproductive cycle. They live pretty relatively short lifespans and they produce millions upon millions upon millions of starfish that all love to eat coral. So that's one of the benefits. We elevate the coral off the ground. Then we have this beautiful sculpture that we donate to coral gardeners that are doing this amazing work of restoring corals, right? So we give them this beautiful product, somewhere great to work with. So every time they dive, they've got this inspiring sight all the corals elevated off the ground. And then we allow that coral to grow to maturity to naturally spawn. So we have these beautiful sculptures, these now large corals, and each time that coral grows over a six month period, we peel the flower petals open more and more and more and more. So as we've got like, say, a six inch round coral, well, that will grow into a two foot round coral and it will grow into the space of those flower petals. So we bend them out. So it's an evolutionary art piece. So as if you're a diver and you love diving on certain locations and you see that sculpture one year, well, it will change the next year because we've opened up all these petals and in the next year and the next year and next year until we have these mature corals, which would be the finished product. So it could be five years before these petals are fully opened and that full art piece is now displayed as it should be with a giant, beautiful coral covered in fish and being able to spawn. But the second thing is we're actually going after heat resistant coral. So when coral dies, you can have, say, a 10 by 10 space. All the coral will die but one. That's a genetically superior coral that has managed to withstand a bleaching event. We go after that coral. We grow that coral and we put it on our sculptures because we want that super heat resistant coral to be able to spawn. We don't want to be planting low resistant, non-genetically superior coral to spawn, but then die in the next bleaching event. What a waste of time that would be. So we're doing our very best to go after the heat resistant corals. Now, in 10 years, that heat resistant coral may not be doing its job. So you're just fighting this almost losing battle in the prediction models of like, well, do we know this coral is going to survive 85, 95, 105 degree temperatures? We have no idea, but we have to put our best foot forward to try this process. Now, we put our sculptures at about 20 foot at depth and we place them very specifically in these channels where water flow is pretty decent. So when these super corals grow, well, I don't want to use the word super coral, but these heat resistant corals grow to maturity, go through a few spawning cycles. Well, these water currents then have this ability to carry those coral spawning sperm and eggs and all the various different ways that these guys reproduce, goes out onto a natural eco reef system and starts to populate these ecosystems with these heat resistant corals. So it's a real win-win in terms of a coral propagation program. But then you also have created a financial business model for everybody in the neighborhood. So Fiji, for instance, we're two minutes away from Plantation Island Resort. We're three minutes away from Musket Cove Resort. We're five minutes from Namutus. We're 10 minutes from Tavarua. We're five minutes from the mainland. Guess what? We've just created a revenue model for all the dive companies, snorkeling companies, and all those eco-tourisms that want to come out and look at our things. So guess what? We've now created stakeholders in this very thing that we're trying to do. But it spreads awareness. Because everybody that comes out there now is looking at this thing on the bottom of the sea floor going, why in God's green earth is that sculpture there with coral on it? 
guess what? Opens up the dialogue for the conversation about what's wrong with coral. We have just expanded our message to people that care deeply for the ocean because they're divers and they love it. We've now taken that message and told them directly what the problem is. Now they can indirectly or directly support you right there and then and be like, dude, I want to support you, give you five bucks, 10 bucks. But that does us no good as an organization financially, right? So we go after public donation, private philanthropy and business donations. So we build these sculptures, we give them away to these uh, coral gardeners, essentially as a freebie. But it does their work amazingly good and it spreads the awareness, which our organization is deeply trying to do, right? So you've created stakeholders, artificial reefs, growing ground for coral, and it's a win-win situation from for everybody now all that money trickles down to the local communities because you have to get permission from these local communities so everybody is benefiting from this one sculptural install for the next 100 years our sculptures are designed to last at least 200 years we use marine grade stainless steel it's pinned to the ocean floor so it's easily removable if we end up failing and all coral dies we'll just pull them and do a worldwide tour of our artwork to say, look, we've messed up, guys. All the coral's dead. Check out what we did 10 years ago. Do you know what I mean? But the big, big picture is this. We talked about GDPs earlier. You have a now a country that is now suffering. So what we want to do is we want to build out really, really large marine protected areas with our sculptural parks on them. So two to three acres, upwards of four tank dives. So you could do one tank, you know, two tank dives one day, two tank the next day. And guess what? We've got this an amazing idea for a night dive that I don't really want to tell the public about just yet. But we are doing some very revolutionary things for night diving, which will be just absolutely awesome. So what we do is we create these areas with large installations. And we're talking a million dollars. And that's all we need is a million dollars to be self-sustaining and to be able to do incredible work. So for a million dollars, we build out a three to four acre park with hundreds and hundreds of sculptures, being able to plant thousands and thousands of corals. So we have this nice garden, a revenue model for our organization. But under the guidelines that the government now steps up, and this is that future thing that we were talking about, at some point that scale is going to go, they're going to start coming to us because they're losing their valuable resource and they can't scale quick enough. But we guess what? We're going to do it for them. But under the conditions that we create a marine protected area or a national park, Counting Coral runs the concession of that park for 30 year contract, which means we have sole rights and we control and manage that area and no one can dive on it unless they pay into our organization. So any dive operators that want to come out would upcharge their dive people an extra $10 or $25. And that money goes directly into our organization to manage a marine protected area. You've heard of MPAs. It's an absolute disaster is what's happening with MPAs. We can protect areas on a piece of paper. We've just protected 30% of this area, marine protected area. Guess what? No one's there managing it. No one's policing it. No one's doing any of the work that needs to be correct for a managed protected area. So I'm changing the dialogue to MMMPA. So a managed marine protected area. And guess what? We will do that because we're now getting revenue into our organization to be able to manage the park, manage the area, police the area, and increase biomass massively. But in addition to that, we're growing out thousands and thousands of pieces of coral that we can then hand out throughout the nation to rebuild their reefs at free of charge to the government. So that's a win-win for everybody. If we are now training teaching, creating marine protected areas, growing vast amounts of coral and repopulating their entire coastlines because we now have a business model under the concession 
And it has to be understood that it's run as a concession like a national park. You don't go to the Grand Canyon and walk in for free. You have to go in for $25. It's managed by park rangers. Well, we wanted to be able to be the ones to do that. And we're not talking massive areas of marine protected areas because that's almost a failing as well. Because when you protect massive areas, no one can go into it and fish. So you've just chopped off this massive arm of potentiality for people to be able to survive. You can't ask that of a community in a small nation like Fiji to say, oh, we're going to protect half your coastline and no one can go in there and fish. It's ridiculous. So you create pockets of marine protected areas like and in between those pockets, you have highways that boat operators can go in between and fish. So each pocket creates biomass, but that biomass spills out into the traffic lanes where fishermen can actually go relatively close to the coastline under the understanding that there's a very small pocket they're never, ever allowed to fish in because that fish is the nurse, that, that area is the nursery for the fish that they'll catch in the highway kind of networks, if that makes sense. So we've really got to understand the blue economy and do it correctly and do it with nations that are interested in not putting any money up front or they might loan you the million dollars to build the park out and you pay it back over 30 years based on a concession. So that's a business model that I've been racking my brains for the last year, but that will be very difficult to scale. I don't think anybody's heard of a national park. Uh, too many national parks are very well managed these days, and it's really, really difficult to get a marine protected area. Imagine how difficult it is to get a, 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 a national park. But you can sell that concession to other nonprofits. So when we're done after 30 years or whatever the contract is, we hand it off to another organization, say, hey, we've done all the work for you. All you got to do is manage it correctly, get the revenue and do your work. So then we can duplicate that around the world so we can build out really cool marine protected areas with a point of interest and a massive area to grow coral. I mean, it sounds like a great model uh on paper it sounds like it you've considered all the options and uh it feeds back into itself in a few different ways i'm curious have you created any of these yet and either way uh what is the financial breakdown because we talked a lot about money and costs so what does you know how much money do you need for what individual purposes here and and again have, have you been have you done any of this what kind of stuff's you know, deliverable or has already been actionable. So if you guys go onto Instagram, probably tomorrow, you'll see uh, a little post that I'm about to do. And you can go on to uh, Karen Cole on Instagram. There's a, there's a, a small video I'm going to post either today or tomorrow. That is me pushing the button. That is the send button on an email that is now uh, producing uh, 530 products or 495 i think parts or something like that i can't remember the number but basically we have raised enough money to produce these 109 sculptures and i pushed the send button to have that manufactured yesterday so that's really incredibly exciting wow. news for us. congratulations now yeah. we're behind our timeline because uh, fiji's closed down and that's where we're, we're doing our first project in um, conjunction with Coral for Conservation, that's an organization down there that we are partnered with. And Plantation Island Resort is kind of like the sponsor of our stay. So they're allowing us to stay there for six months, uh, six weeks during the installation because we only partly assemble the product before we ship it. Because if we tried to mm. ship 109 sculptures, we'd need like four containers. So we have to partly assemble them. So in about five days, I'm going to have all these parts that we are now going to uh, temporarily assemble to do land-based art exhibits. 
that the general public can come out and look at and go, oh, what's that for? And then we get to send that message again before we put it in the ocean. Now, we're behind schedule on this because of COVID. The country of Fiji has closed its borders for, uh, I think it's 385 days now. It's been COVID-free, so I totally understand that. But it's killed us as a, as a momentum to get these sculptures in the water. So we're on our first round of sculptures. Uh, we've raised the money for that. Now, that was a total of $57,000, which we did in one year during COVID, which I thought was pretty damn good considering, yeah. you know, I had to reach out and scrape as much money I could from everywhere imaginable to get this project off the ground. And uh, as soon as country opens up, we're going to ship this and install it. So it's our first pilot program, but we're working with uh, some pretty amazing uh, marine scientists and marine bi biologists to make this happen because i'm not a scientist uh, but i have a great engineering background understand um kind of how to build this for ocean conditions with guidelines from them to understand how to plant coral on them to make sure the coral is the primary focus but also having those revenue streams having stakeholders having a beautiful coral garden to garden on and um, you know an artificial reef essentially so we're there we're just in a holding pattern but that holding pattern is kind of like a bonus for me because i get to do these land-based art exhibits so uh we could be on a beach in san diego I tried to get a permit for Malibu, but uh, Malibu City won't allow us to do it. Um, but we're going to be basically doing these land-based things to invite the public out and go, you know, what's this? What's that going on for? And it's going to be quite an impressive thing because you actually get to see it on land before it's sunk into the ocean. So that's kind of fun. Yeah, that is super interesting. Again, you guys have a great uh, presence and your idea for for that is, is exactly where it needs to be. And as long as you keep getting those videos and <laughs> you keep you know making that content, I think that it'll do nothing but good. Yeah, so we're going to be out on the crack desert. So this is crack desert just outside of LA. It's about three hours away. So I'm going to load up a U-Haul tr uh, truck. A couple buddies of mine are going to help me install the full installation out on a crack desert. So we get to do these awesome drone shots and amazing photography with this crack desert, mountains and sunsets in the background of this just cool like uh you know crop circle looking thing yeah. it's designed for coral and that that will hopefully be our best content for kickstarter or indiegogo indiegogo kind of platform to kind of expand our fundraising a little bit further because people can actually see the tangible product right now we've only been doing renderings because it's all conceptual right sure we're now moving out of that conceptual model into a reality model that we can actually display and show to the world of what we're doing and this is the first stainless steel sculptural nursery in the world to ever be created and placed in fiji so this is kind of like a groundbreaking thing and i don't think people actually understand that when they think of it it's like hey man i would want to be a part of that I'd like to donate $5 to an organization that's doing something crazy like that. Are you kidding me? And actually working it out so it works out for the benefits of environmental uh, issues and people and local communities. That's a win all around. <laughs> yeah, it's unique and it's interesting. It's something it's, it, and that's why, uh, you know, I'm glad this interview has worked out because I looked up on you guys and I was like, that seems super cool. And it's a great, it's smart. It's not just conservation, it's art. And I think that's a huge, with so much of the science, they lose the the beauty that does take place in the natural world. And so I think that this is uh, what you guys are doing stems that line better and more people can identify with art than with science. So at the very least, they're like, oh, an underwater art installation, coral reef. That's cool. If for no other reason, that's interesting, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's what we thought. For no other reason, that's cool. But yes. guess what? We realize there's a ton of benefits that go mm -hmm. along with it. And one of them we didn't realize about the predator thing. 
uh, as one of the marine scientists that we were talking about, he flipped his mind when he realized that we were going to donate this to him. He was like, yes, 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 this is amazing. We have such a problem with predators, and your design has just solved that. And I'm like, yeah, I'm a genius. <laughs> I'm <laughs> like, yeah, that was me. That was totally me. But it was a happy accident. What can I say? I can't really take the credit. It's just a happy accident. So, you know, you just gotta, you just got to, like, think about it from – uh, that standpoint of like, oh, and then it ticks all these other boxes on top of that. And if you think about like ecotourism, already these coral gardeners are getting ecotourist divers just to dive on these crappy tables that are like wireframe tables three feet off the sand that a coral are growing on. And people are choosing to dive those sites. Can you imagine when there's 109 sculptures, how cool that's going to be for those eco divers to go oh my god they have done something completely different right out the box and it ticks all these boxes and i get to dive it as part of an eco tourist dive that i get to maybe you know take a few cuttings from it and then put it on the reef or you know however they design their curriculums around that ecotourism based on our sculptural installation it's going to be really fascinating to see how it all unfolds in terms of how much revenue people will make from this you know the dive operators in the local area because as soon as that goes in the water dude you can guarantee people are going to be showing up in droves going what is going on because well, messages and uh, dialogue runs pretty deep in fiji very fast i mean it goes up through the island chains about what's going on pretty quickly so everybody's going to be like what is going on yeah that'll be it'll be interesting to see it yeah so what's your timeline so you're trying to sync it roughly when obviously the covid stuff has put you off a little bit but when are you trying to do that august september right now i mean uh, fiji is supposed to open up in march then that came and went and there's no news and no positive news about when it will open up again. There's been no date. So we're in this limbo waiting. But again, it's kind of a bonus for us because now we have this physical, tangible object that we can put on land. Are you going to be moving it around over the course of the summer? Are you going to be staying in LA with it? What's your process there? I want to move around. I want to just, uh, you know, again, uh, LA is just opening up. Yep. Uh, we couldn't even get a beach permit if we wanted it. But when I spoke to them, they said, hey, we're the last in the line because how many people actually apply for a beach permit? Might get a wedding or a birthday party or something. Mm -hmm. So they're like, we're last in line. But maybe in a month, they might now be opening up beach permits, which case we can do San Diego, Laguna Beach, you know, Laguna Del Mar, you know, all the various different areas up the coastline, maybe up to San Francisco, maybe up to Napa Valley and that type of stuff. Yeah. One of the cool things about our sculptures is like philanthropists that want to get involved in this, if they want to uh, really get heavily involved in it, the centerpiece that we design costs $6,000 to donate. So if you donate six grand, you get the centerpiece with your logo, your business name or family name, pet name, whatever you want to put on this sculpture, it's yours. And then we have eight sculptures in the outer field that we uh, laser, laser engrave names on plaques. So each eight, eight one of each of those eight sculptures gets a three by 12 name plaque that we weld onto it. So you get to dive and see your name or your family cool. name or loved one. So that's $3,300 if somebody wants to get involved in that to actually get a plaque onto it. So that's something we kind of tried to do to create that like connection for people. You know, we don't, we have no agenda, whether it's a business or a family, you know, it's just like, Hey, you know, if you're helping us, we'll help you. Find space, yeah. <laughs> so it's great media attention. We work with a company called Anarchist Wines. And since we partnered with those guys, they bought the centerpiece. We've put their logo on it. Um, guess what? That's going to help that company out for many, many years because we're using that content already and we haven't even done the sculptures. 
we just did a, a cool trivia thing with them the other day where we had a wine trivia and there was like a 50 people all drinking wine and talking about coral and raising awareness that way. And they just did that off their own free will to just be a part of our organization. And that's the beauty about having great sponsors where we help their business models out because we post on Instagram, we highlight them on our website. We do all this various work for them outside of them just giving us money. And I think that's a good give and take kind of thing. As well as you helping us out, you know, spread the awareness for everybody. Well, I want to say thank you for coming on today. It's been really interesting to talk to you about this super interesting idea um that's unique and is a very you know it's, it's not passive you guys are trying to do active work to fix a very you know important problem that is fixable if we put the time and money into it and you guys are doing your best to do that so i want to say thank you uh for doing that and for coming on the show yeah well listen i appreciate you having me and for anybody who's listening uh you know you can go to our website and check it out it's just fun to even like you know, just get some likes on our Instagram sometimes and a few comments. And that's always a nice thing too. It keeps us motivated. We've got 14 people in our organization working diligently daily to drive messages, content, marketing, Google AdWords, email list, contact list. It goes on and on and on how hard we work on the back end of this just to raise a small amount of money to do amazing things in the world. So we're just trying to do our best to spread the message. So if you imagine you take a picture of a coral living or dead, it doesn't really resonate with people. You take a picture of 109 sculptures with coral on it it changes that message and it, it drives a different awareness if you want to plug your stuff feel free to plug your instagram your website anything you'd like yeah countandcoral.com website karen coral karen coral karen coral <laughs> across all platforms youtube linkedin you know tiktok instagram you name it it's just at counting coral anywhere you look we're there perfect and um, feel free to reach out to us if you want to partner up with us yeah Julian, thanks for today thank you so much i really appreciate your time and you're doing a wonderful thing Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the Blue Earth Podcast. We're brought to you, as always, by the CT Scuba Academy, and we release episodes every Monday, so be sure to check us out everywhere you get podcasts. You can subscribe to our Twitter at Blue Earth Pod, and you can find all of our episodes as well on the CT Scuba website. Thank you.